0: And we're back for another episode of Athletic Insights. Athletic Insights is a resource for youth sports organizations, coaches, parents, young athletes alike looking to get a glimpse in behind the scenes of elite athletics and what it really looks like. We're going to go a little off script tonight, and we're joined here with my friends from the podcast At The 55, Zach and Dakota. Zach, why don't you take a quick moment to introduce yourself, and then I'll ask the same of you, Dakota.
1: I'm Zach. As uh, Zach, you already uh, highlighted a uh, former Guelph Griffin offensive lineman from Toronto. Uh, graduated in 2015. Uh, went out with a bang when uh, the Griffins won the their last Yates Cup against Western. Um, and yeah, we started up at the 55 in the 2017, no, 2018 season. 2017. Yeah, some. We're we're just finishing our third year doing it. Started off just as a podcast, just covering week by week what was happening in the league. Then Mr. Vine hopped on, and uh, it really took off from there. So that's that's my little two cents on who I am, what we do. You you just love talking about you beating Western A. Eh? Is is that why you guys had to be so big and get
2: a ring? The only uh, OUA team to have to get a Gates Cup ring just to remember it.
0: <laughs> I'm anyway, sure if,
2: if and any no, no, It's my turn now, Mister Ring Boy. Okay. Uh, yeah, as you said, I'm Dakota. Okay. Hopped in in the second year of uh, at the 55, and like to say, just made it so much better. Um, people didn't know about us before, you know, didn't have any fans, and it's true. Yeah, no, but uh, I run pretty much the social media, and during the season, like to uh, stir the pot a little bit. But you know, any attention
0: to the league is good attention in my books. Amen. So you had mentioned that you hopped in there for year two. So Zach, you originally started the podcast by yourself. Where where did this idea come from? And what was your main purpose with At The 55?
1: Well, it wasn't entirely a solo deal. Uh, the So the idea came when I was at Humber College um, for a radio broadcasting program. And, uh, you know, it's a hard, that's uh, a hard industry to break into. And so the idea kind of just came to me, we had done some work with sort of how you could make your own podcast. And I was still relatively fresh out of uh, playing new sports had friends there and it just kind of made sense like, oh, it'd be cool to do like a weekly recap, what happened the week prior, and then you can set up what's going to happen in the next week and just kind of see where it goes. Uh, kind of knowing my own personality I thought I would be more comfortable doing it with a partner so I thought of a few folks that might be interested and uh, just serendipitously at a, a local gym in Toronto at a good life one day I saw uh, an, a former teammate of mine and Dakota's uh, Eddie Meredith who had a, a really successful career both playing a bit down in Boston, Boston College coming to Western and then having a short stint in the CFL uh, ran into him at the gym I mentioned I had this idea and he was totally on board with it so we figured it out a lot of bumps along the way in the first year and many bumps along the way in the years uh that have come since um but uh yeah that's kind of how it started it just seemed it was just it was partly a portfolio piece was like thinking hey I want to get into this industry and here's something I can just do by myself and then I think it just reawoken a lot of the love I had for this game at this level and so it's just uh you know my aspirations of getting into radio have, have perhaps died down a bit more now but you know just the fact that that kind of spurred this uh creation I'm uh, so grateful for so yeah we we'll just keep on trying to move forward
0: Dakota, you want to add anything to that? What does it mean for you to you to be the, the new co host? That's it.
2: Um, honestly, I, I joined uh, honestly because I was bored, if I'm being quite frank. Uh, I, I like, you know, talking sports. Um, and I felt that, Zach, I, I loved what you were doing before, um, but it was it was a little too, I felt like you and Eddie were the same person. Uh, in the sense where you guys are like, good job, everybody, you know, let's all have fun and hear the scores. And, you know, I I thought that maybe there should be a little hotter takes. And if anyone follows me on Twitter, they know I'm all about the hot takes. So I thought may as well hop on the mic and do the exact same thing.
1: Real quick, there were actually times when I would edit a podcast that was me and Eddie, where I'd be like, wait, oh, okay. Oh, sorry, that was Eddie. That wasn't me, where we actually did sound a little bit like each other at times. So anyhow.
0: (laughs) Almost too like-minded to be on the same show. I get that for sure. Um, so one of the reasons we, we jumped on the podcast tonight was to go over the, the recap of the 2021 CFL draft. So you had mentioned to me, uh, Zach and Dakota, I've talked to you a lot more throughout the week, but uh, Zach, you had mentioned that, you know, it was a little bit of a weird year. So why don't we just get your, your, your first of all, your general thoughts on this year's, this year's CFL draft.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll stick with that description bit of a weird year, obviously, coming off the lost season, there was talk of people going to defer the draft, whether or not people want to return, you know, finish off your college career or just get more film on or tape on film to be able to send out to schools, maybe that helps your draft stock or just, you know, getting into the draft at all. Um you know, so it, it definitely, it, there wasn't as much buzz going into this one. And I think just the fact that we had a whole year without football in Canada was probably partly why they were, um, lacked that buzz. And so just, just by the numbers, you know, going back to that 2020 draft uh, just over a year ago now, which just was a, a hell of a year for OUA players coming into the draft, it hit, an, it hit 28 guys uh, out of Ontario, which I think was like a the best number in at least five or six years and then it dropped down to eight this year right and so some of the notable wow. names yeah note, and, and and so it's so you
0: said there was 28 yeah. oua draft picks last year this year there was 31 U Sport in total is that correct
1: I, I don't have that number but that doesn't sound you know based on kind of the ratios i mean oua compared with some of the other conferences i mean there's tons of talent here but you know you can west you know uh the mm-hmm. rcq i mean obviously pumping out talent uh there on top of just the national guys returning from the states so just that kind of question mark of where guys going to defer the effect of losing the season not just at the oua level but cfl as well was just such a big question mark uh, which i think is what accounted for the uh the the drop in numbers
0: that absolutely makes sense and any the rcq had a, a down year as well i think they had seven guys go this year and and one of the first questions uh Chris Shibley, uh, coached at UBC. I had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, he had mentioned that um, there was, so there's only seven guys from RSEQ drafted. Usually there's seven guys from Laval in the first two rounds and they're all offensive linemen. So yeah, <laughs> just a really wacky year for sure across the board. And I think the AUF had a very small amount of uh, representation this year. And that's another thing that I know that conference is they're trying to take pride in that. And they're really trying to, to get their player development going both like as football players, but also as just like athletes and being physically capable to perform at a, at a combine. So like what, like what other than the draft stock being lower this year, what, what was a little bit weird about the draft? Was it just not knowing the guys? Was it not? There was, there was only one draft pick that I was excited about truthfully. And it was just seeing Chubba Hubbard go because I've had my eye on that guy for a long time. And I don't think he's going to play in Canada, but it was, it was the only thing that really, was worthwhile for watching the the CFL's production value. I don't want to, you know, get onto that stream, but it, there was nothing really, really pulling me to watch this year's draft.
1: Well, no, it, it definitely can lack a little bit. I mean, I, I forgot that, it, I, I guess they did it last year too. Dakota, maybe you remember better than I do, that it, 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 they only cover the first two rounds on TV, um, which then of course affected our little production because it's, mm. it's, it's, now, it's now no longer just a, a drunk guy watching the draft commentating on it. It's a drunk guy getting... Just updates on the website. And then exactly, right. you know? So uh, it, it definitely changed up the formula there a little bit. Um, no, I don't know. I, I mean, there there, were, there definitely were some still some cool storylines like following in this draft. I mean, you mentioned Hubbard's name, like the, a number of guys we're just seeing now going down to the States and having really prolific careers. And of course, that creates that dilemma. That's always so fascinating with the CFL draft where, you know, if a national player is having so much success, there's kind of that threshold where too much success makes you not as tantalizing a prospect because you might stick in the States. And, you know, that's always so interesting. But, you know, sticking with kind of our bread and butter, um, you know, one of the interesting stories, storylines following was uh you know there's a lot of talk about um you know um of will corby friend of the show um, receiver out of uh uft being perhaps the the top receiver picked out of the oua and uh, immediately my first thought went to okay well i gotta dig through some of these old drafts and see where his uh, older brother doug corby got drafted um Back in 2016, uh, had a great year at Queens, so that was kind of that was fun to kind of follow going in. The surprise of it all wasn't was ultimately that uh, Will wasn't even on the board. Um, bit of a surprise there, given the year he had with UFT. Uh, um, on the other hand, though, uh, another Toronto product, not UFT though, but out of the University of York, uh, Luther Hakuna Van, who was a guy that really wasn't getting much talk and uh, going into the draft, but you know he had a hell of a year with York. I think York guys, similar with UFT, sometimes perhaps get a little bit of the short end of the stick because of the lack of production on the team level. But, you know, Dakota, and I've talked about this a lot. Like you go through those York rosters and Toronto as well, and you see talent, you see athletes all the time, you know, it, it, there's just some other things that need to get perhaps tightened up and uh, around there. But, you know, so th- there was still some intrigue around the draft despite lack of numbers. Another friend of uh, the show, Elaine of getting picked up uh, in the fourth round, going to Saskatchewan, which is cool. Cause it reunites him with his four, uh, Friends and former teammates, uh, AJ Allen and um, Kian Schaefer-Baker, two former Griffins as well. So, I mean, I, I, Dakota, I don't know. Did you get the chance to speak with Elaine since? I know you're uh, closer with him than I am. Yeah, but, I mean, it was more casual than anything formal. Um, yeah, I was yeah. just
2: excited to go play. Um, but just touching on on the draft itself, I mean, it felt weird because we haven't seen Canadian football in a year and a half. It felt weird because we don't know if there's going to be a, like, are we drafting for nothing? Is there going right. to be a league? Not only because people like the provinces aren't clearing players to play, but also with the XFL merger, is the CFL even going to be the CFL this time next year? So, I mean, it that mixed with the low production, I know you're not going to say, it, but the low production of TSN, it just kind of felt like any other Tuesday, which it pretty much was. I mean, congrats to all those players being drafted, but it just it didn't seem like a big deal. And I guess it was kind of hard to get excited about it. If we don't know if the league's going to be a thing, if the majority of players are deferring their draft for this year, it just, it just had a very weird feel to it. At least that's my personal thought.
0: And that's all all fair. And I think that's a great point. You touched on the deferred draft years and that's something I really wanted to go over with you guys. I had Trey young on the podcast last week, actually. Um, and, and he was someone I, again, I didn't know that so many athletes had, had, taken that route because they all want the eyes on them at the combine, especially, you know, uh, an athlete who's very athletic, kind of maybe run first uh, kind of style quarterbacks. But regardless, like there's been such a boom of Canadian talent. So I want to get into talking about that. There's 29 active NFL Canadians right now. I want to come back to that, but let's first go into like, what are your thoughts on the deferred draft year? And what's that going to do to the 2022 CFL draft?
1: Well, uh i mean firstly i just i i think you said trey young i assume you meant trey ford for sure. if you had trey, trey young ford. on your show i <laughs> totally need to hear that episode and i'm so curious how you got him um but no trey you're ford, like, my bad I, <laughs> no i mean trey's definitely he was the big fish in this draft along with his uh you know receiving um partner or not partner but target um gordon lamb and uh i i imagine that them deferring was a big thing for other players in the uh in the draft, uh, you know, I, was, I was happy to see that. I mean, obviously, their other teammate, uh, Tyler Turnowski, the stud receiver, uh, he got drafted last year. Of course, he didn't know how things were going to plan out with the season, but uh, just with how Waterloo's been projecting and how uh, dominant Trey's been in his career, it's it's awesome to see him go back, serve with this, uh, with another shot at a Yates Cup. Uh, You know, Obviously, Mac took it last time um, against the depleted Western team with Merchant going out. So it definitely looks like there's room at the top and Waterloo's just been growing and they've had the best player in the OUA for a few years now in Trey. So I was stoked that he's going back just because, you know, knocking on wood that we're getting in our OUA season, um, this could really be their year to take a title shot. And I think that would be awesome because as much success as they've had, the, the success they've had can perhaps make it easy to forget. We're talking about the Waterloo war football program it's yeah. not that far long ago this program was completely shut down and suspended for the whole story thing and, you know when
0: I was being recruited to Waterloo not that long <laughs> ago as you say I was worried that the program's validity was even gonna they were gonna even have a program like yeah. and and now this complete shift to they have the dude in the OUA and they're gonna win championships they're they're in the contention to win championships
1: one hundred percent. You know, um, and, but of course, you know, it's not it's not his to to lose per se, because of course, like we said, Mac was yeah. the team. Um, and Andreas Duick Dewey, um, was another guy who, you know, I I don't suspect would have gotten drafted, but another guy who was eligible for it, and his name wasn't really being thrown around. Um. And so, just, you know, going back, obviously, he's going to lose his um, or, you know, if he sticks uh, t- his target Tommy Neal receiver from Mac uh, out of um, from Guelph originally, um, you know, he got picked up. So obviously a weapon lost on that offense. But what made that Mac offense so incredible with um, uh with Duick at the helm and of course with Justice Allen, uh, Dakota's former uh, player uh, in the backfield, what made that team so uh, deadly offensively was spreading the ball around so much. So yeah, losing Neal is a cog in that machine, but uh, you know, unlike perhaps some other sports teams uh, and maybe teams in the way we can think of just one cog, not, it wasn't, Tommy's not the whole piece of them. Great player, but what makes that team special is Duick spreading the wealth around and just getting, you know, sort of death by a thousand cuts. So that was, a, that was another name that wasn't really talked about. Might not have been a big prospect for this draft, anyways, but just another team that's going to be competitive. They're out there defending their title, so it'll be cool to see what uh, what comes about in the once again hopeful twenty twenty one season.
0: Dakota, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Um, more so on on Trey, I'm a little
2: I'm a little worried how the CFL is going to treat him. Um, obviously, there's talk about pretty much what there was talk about before he came into the OUA of him being moved to receiver. And I mean, Mm -hmm. the main reason he went to Waterloo is because Bert gave him a chance and said, you can play quarterback here. Um, But really have we seen any drafted U sports quarterbacks in the last little while? I think Um, Michael
0: O'Connor was drafted from UBC, but he had some uh, time playing D1. He played for Penn state, came back to UBC, won the, won the Vanier. I believe he was drafted. And I still think he's active on a roster. So of course you're right. The narrative has been, you know, there's no Canadians drafted, but I think that is something we might see a little shift in.
2: Oh, I don't, I don't think, I I think that, you know, he'll, he'll definitely be picked up by a roster. My, my concern is they're going to force him into a position of being this sort of gimmicky quarterback. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, where he's running these gadget plays where he can run or he can pass it, but he's not actually, you know, lined up under center or under a gun. Um, and we, I saw a similar thing to Brandon Bridge, Air Canada, you know, um, okay. where he's solid quarterback, but not really given the time of day. Um, but that's a whole other conversation just about the Canadian quarterbacks in general. I mean, O'Rourke is supposed to be the new Canadian boy, but now he's going down south to go
0: try out for the New York Giants. So it's a little bit of a weird situation there as well. So yeah, I mean, again, this is I, I'd love to switch gears now to a little bit of NFL Canadian success. So this is something I might actually be able to put in some some more input on. We almost have thirty Canadian-born athletes playing in the NFL. Fifteen years ago, I don't I don't have the number off my top of my head. We're talking one to two max. So a, where do you think this boom is coming from? Do you think it's has anything to do with the movie concussion and enrollment going down in the States, there's a more global playing field. Like what, what do you think's going on? could be anything.
2: Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with concussions because I don't think Americans care at all when it comes to that. Um, I mean, the, the, the people that are playing are going to be the ones that are playing. Yes. Obviously you know, enrollments going down, I'd say here as well. Um, but those aren't the ones, those aren't the guys necessarily. This isn't a knock on anyone that are going to be, you know, on the field seven days a week, busting their butt. Um, I think the guys that are going to be working that hard are probably going to be a little less, you know, concerned about hits to the head. And that's just the reality of the sport. Um, I think what it may be uh, stemming from is the rise in popularity of prep schools in Canada. Um, You know, for example, West Toronto, Football North, uh, there's Football North St. Joe's. There's a bunch of programs that go and get players down and playing in the South. Um, Mm. So they're outside of the Canadian game. Cause really I don't think it has anything. Yeah. But I also don't think it has anything to do necessarily with the nationality of our players, but more so for some reason, people look at three down 110 yard fields and like, Oh, I can't compare that to Americans. But when you see the Canadian talent on the American field with these American players that are going to Alabama and Florida and you're like, okay, so the skill level is there, you know, let's give these players a try. And then once they're in the door of the school, like they're, they're putting in work just like any other player. I mean, Devon Smith, a guy that Zach and I both played with, you know, went and played for Iowa, had his shot with the Colts for a little bit, then Raiders, Jaguars, and now he's in, in Edmonton. Um, and I think that was kind of just the start, but like, like you're saying, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Canadian talent in college D one right now. So I would Mm -hmm. expect these numbers to just rise way more than 30 in the next three years.
0: Yeah. And just to add to that, like the, the American prep schools, they're now forming relationships and looking up North for athletes. Um, it's it's really cool like even a couple of the athletes i'm working with who are are being recruited to to play st thomas play for st thomas more in connecticut um they play in the same league as the img academy so you know once a year book it you're getting you're gonna have the best college eyes on you so opportunity is, is also a huge thing and like we all know that canadians don't necessarily we don't get the same viewpoint as Americans, but we also don't get the same amount of opportunities. So the fact that they're looking up here and they're actually being able to offer like huge amounts of financial aid, they're, they're making the playing field a little bit more level. Like you said, Dakota, I, I think we're going to feel that trend continue to go up and also not just Canadians. I think you're going to see more, more Europeans. Um We've even seen some rugby guys experiment in the NFL the last couple of years. So I do think the sport is going to have some sort of evolution coming out of COVID for sure. Yeah. I would also
2: add to that saying that I think Canadians are, at least the players are done with the excuse that, Oh, I'm Canadian. I can't go play down South. And they're taking the, they're taking the sport a lot more serious. Um, Obviously in the States, you're pretty much born with a football in your hand. If you're playing down South, you know, we don't necessarily have, or we didn't in the past have those leagues. I didn't start playing football until I was 13, Mm -hmm. um, which in the States I'm, Ten years too late, right? Yeah, um, you so would make a JV squad in the states. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I don't know if I'd make a JV squad now in the states. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, me neither. <laughs> but I think I think the kids are are taking the sport more serious. It's not just show up to practice, you know, catch a few balls, score some touchdowns. You know, I mean, you of all people should know this. They're they're putting in the work in the off season. They're they're actually focusing on what they need to focus on. It's not just I'm going to play football. I like football. Oh wait, why didn't I get a shot down south? they're realizing there how much work you have to do and the kids are finally doing it. And, you know, the ones that are, are blessed enough to get Americans to come look at them are getting the opportunity on South.
0: Do either of you have any opinion on like potential amalgamations of CFL and U sport in terms of like marketing experiences and actually like growing just Canadian football. I know OFA just came out with like, uh, or uh, football Canada just kind of came out with like an Ontario's plan to kind of make football a little bit more linear and just like have more uh like synergy i guess between different leagues and clubs so i mean let's take that one step further and look at the the top levels of canadian football
2: well we used to do it i believe i mean the cf the the Grey cup and the vanya used to be side by side at mm-hmm. least to my memory mm-hmm. i would love u sports and uh the cfl to merge in a sense my concern is that I'm just going to say both. I don't think either of them know what the heck they're doing. Right. So 10 years ago, when there was production value in the CFL and there was production value in CIS, I'm going to call it U sports back then. (laughs) It would be great to have them combine and, and work together. Right now, it doesn't seem like CFL is a top priority for we'll say TSN or whoever's covering them and U sports at least for football definitely isn't a top priority. So if they combined, I don't know what good it would cause ideally in a, in a perfect world, if they were both focused, it would be great to have them, you know, combine. I mean, they, they have some things behind the, behind the scenes where, you know, top quarterbacks will go to programs. Chris Merchant went to Calgary one year. Will Finch went to Hamilton one year, kind of develop the players, but from production standpoint, it would be great if they both kind of, had a plan, but it seems like they don't have a plan. So I would say no until yeah. at least one of them has a plan of what they want. I don't want two blind yeah. programs.
0: Well, yeah, they had that quarterback system to develop Canadian quarterbacks, which is obviously very important, but why not extrapolate that model and bring in a, a one or two, like an o man, a DB and like really do, it seems like they're almost taking like small risks, doing little beta testing, pulling back, doing little beta testing, pulling back. And they're not jumping and committing to anything to actually grow the sport. It feels like there's a very timid hand on the
1: wheel. Well, and, you know, I agree with pretty much everything Dakota said there and, and the the CFL, the Grey Cup, um, Vanier Cup weekend thing. I mean, I think there may have been a year or two where it was in Ontario and they linked it up as well with the, um, like, with the Offsa Bowl as well. It was in Hamilton, I think, right? And so it was this just oh, okay. incredible weekend of, yeah, that would have been the when Western beat Laval, I think, 2017 at, um, yeah, in, in Hamilton. But you know, just had it was just this great like week event of all this high school top high school football in Ontario into the Vanier into the Craig Cup. I, I think I have that timeline right. But if that wasn't a thing, it surely should be a thing. And I don't like you know criticizing things that I don't have you know too good a grasp on. And so when when some of these ideas that seem so simple don't come to fruition, or ideas that they've even done before disappear, and I'm always thinking, well shucks i mean someone probably has some plan and in play this is a part of but then there's also this big part of me it's like no these things like some of these things seem like very simple things like kind of going oh you way specific me and dakota talk a lot about the way that they do themselves a disservice as far as growing the brand just in terms of scheduling and i'm sure there's a lot of you know a lot of logistics in that but it just doesn't feel and maybe me just using the term it doesn't feel like they're doing more to um you know improve these things highlights that maybe it isn't like completely like a rational dissection of what they do or whatever but it just some of these things just feel like they're just not doing enough and especially when some of these solutions seem fairly simple
0: did you have anything to add to that dakota i think i think zach pretty much wrapped that up pretty well
2: (laughs) yeah no i mean nothing nothing that would be productive
0: okay so yeah i mean obviously dakota you seem a little bit more outspoken on it like do, do you have any specific issues with the cfl business model maybe you want to touch on the xfl merger
2: um so it, it's tough because obviously i don't have the insights so i feel like i'm just an outspoken fan at that point and i don't love being that right. person but i think the the biggest thing is that i've seen a lot of criticism of the xfl cfl merger from you know true there's a red-blooded blue-blooded canadians whatever it is that love the cfl and the the, the canadian game but you know, we weren't doing anything before the league was kind of dead. It was dying. If we're being honest, owners were losing money. Players aren't making real money, unfortunately, unless you're like a top Mm -hmm. American. Um, So this is them trying to do something. And I don't love the idea that, you know, it could lose. I love three down football. I love 110 yard football. I love the difference between this and the NFL, but if I have to choose between the CFL merging with the XFL or the CFL not existing, then I would prefer it to merge and kind of stay alive and give, people opportunities to play but yeah my concern is that they're going to get rid of the ratio which is going to mm-hmm. lose all sense of having Canadian players so then it's just an, it's just another league that Canadians might get a chance in Um, they're going to lose you know I don't want it to be a spring league I really enjoy being over the summer not that I love mm-hmm. uh football in November but if they want to play they want to play there but yeah it just seems like a lot of if any of you guys are in tune with you know CFL fans they just they're really hating the, the American side of things for no reason other than they want to stay true to being Canadian. But the reality is the Canadian game is broke and dying and we will be lucky if the CFL even survives this year.
1: And if I can add on to that super quick, it, it, it was the same kind of feedback that Dakota's mentioning when I, I forget the CFL was trying to do make an adjustment to their rules to make it so Americans could play in Canada, do university mm-hmm. ball and then become nationals. And then there was the same debate of, well, they're still Americans if they become get a national status that can take spots of Canadians and all that. And it's like, but what's our end goal here? What do we want? Do We want to improve the league because then it just comes. I know Dakota said this before and I completely agree. It's like, well, you know what? If our Canadians are losing spots, we got to get better then. Let's get back. 100. That's
0: the only like snafu with that line of reasoning is okay. If you take the ratio away, it might instead of us get better. Fair enough. There's no Brit. There's no you know uh, ratio for any other nationality in any other professional football league. So uh, I am ready for a change, but at the same time, I think at least for the short term, some of that ratio should be protected just to keep both kind of the older fan base and, and and the younger fan base. And it's just also a lot of people grew up training. In this system, with like a certain expectation of what the pro system is also going to look like, so there's, it's 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 no one's fault, but there's just so much so many moving parts when when making a decision like that, and then and then it trickles down to see you at youth sports, and then what I'm doing in the youth sports. But anyways, Dakota, it sounds like you had something to add.
2: Sorry, yeah, my my only thing, I would be 100% fine getting rid of the ratio if football was black and white in the sense where the best player played and there were no politics, but we, none of us are ignorant <laughs> enough to, to believe that. I mean, politics in football, there, there is no way that you can look at any roster and say that the best player is always playing. That's just the reality of it. You know, sometimes look coaches have favorites. Know. I mean, we've all had favorites, whether we want to admit it or not in a coaching scenario. And we try our best not to make it, you know, impact our decisions, but you know, when it comes to the quarterback thing, look, sometimes Canadian quarterbacks look at it like, oh, they're not good because they're Canadian. They're not going to know yeah. the system well enough. That's just the reality of it. Whether it's true or not, the ratio is there to protect players and giving them an opportunity to show mm. that Canadians can actually play. And then once a Canadian earns their spot, then they've earned their spot. You know, then they can it can be taken away by anyone else, any other Canadian. But if I would be down to get rid of ratio, if it was yeah. black and white and the best player was going to play. But that's
0: not the reality of it. It's not how life works, my friend. Um, really quick. I got two, I got two speed round questions for you. OUA Yates cup prediction.
1: I, I'll go, I'll go first. I guess I, I want to see Trey get, get a championship. It would be such a great arc to this Waterloo warrior team, what they've been through. Burt deserves it. There's so many other guys. I mean, we always talk about Trey, but that team's yeah. filled with studs. I love a lot of those guys, uh, what they do on the field. Uh, I, let's, let's go warriors. Let's see them put up a get a Yates.
2: Not, who are they? Who are Fair. they going against?
1: Oh, the full prediction. Okay. Um, all right. You know what? Uh, I'll, I'll, all right, I think, uh, yeah, Mac's still going to be a strong team. Let's get them over the uh, the Marauders. I, I think it's a little okay. chalk as far as pick, picks go, but Warriors over yeah, Marauders. That's,
0: that's
2: a little, okay, that's I a like little that. De- depends on the conference, but I'm going to, depends how they're splitting up the league, but I'll go uh, yeah. Waterloo versus York in the, in the Yates
0: cup. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Okay. You have some sources at York, don't you? um okay high Creighton high Creighton so you got to pick the, the winning team almost or like, like no high Creighton's regular season so
1: yeah for yeah for top player <laughs> I mean you know not being too plugged in in any of the other conferences I guess it kind of just becomes who my OUA MVP is going to be and I guess if I'm Oh, yeah. Man, I kind of trapped myself into this corner where it's like, how how does Trey Ford not win the MVP and then go on to win the Yates and this whole story run? And I'm all right, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the Disney storyline going. Let's yeah. get Trey Ford MVP on that Yates Cup team. All right. I'm on, I'm
0: on the same page as you. After talking to that kid, I, I like what he's about. I'm, I'm I'm on the same page as you, Zach.
1: I'm gonna say that Trey sh-
2: deserves to win. Will Will he win? I'm gonna leave that on the politics of you know the coaches that vote. But he at the end of next season, he will have
0: deserved to win the Heck Crichton.
1: Let's go.
0: I'm a, I agree with that. I'm on board with that. And I appreciate that. Last thing I have for you guys is just as a as a as a guest on Athletic Insights, it's a question we ask all of our former elite athletes to take a crack at. So just really quickly, what's a piece of general advice you have for the next generation of athletes who are trying to accomplish some of the things you guys have been able to accomplish? Uh,
1: you know, we always talk about the weight room, you know love to throw around the weights. Um, but I, I had some good people in my life when I started working out who I think got me on this, which is just don't rush the form, you know, and that kind of goes the same thing when we're talking on the field, get your form down solid. Cause as the intensity of whatever it's the activity or the, you know, the exercise and, you know, Amps up if the foundation isn't there, you know, you're gonna crumble at some point, and that metaphor obviously can extend into other areas. But that was the one thing I was thankful having people in my life who, whether it was squat, you know, anything in the weight room where I'm putting weight on my body, that it's gonna look good before we care about the numbers,
0: yeah. Because when you get tired, you default to negative, bad patterns. So, exactly, I like that piece of advice for the young athlete, Dakota. What do you got for the young athlete? Uh,
2: I'm gonna say find a passion in what you're doing, um, because. No matter at what point you're gonna hit a wall, um, and you're gonna question why you're waking up at 5 a.m. to go work out, or why you're going to practice, or why you're in study hall, or why you're eating the way that you're eating, and you have to find a passion in what you're doing because that's what you're gonna fall back on. Because I mean, unless I'm the only one that hit a wall playing this sport, you're you're at some no. point you're gonna que- you're some point you're gonna question what you're doing, and you need to have you know, some sort of an answer for yourself. And if it's love for the sport or love for working out or love for staying healthy, then that's what's going to keep you going. Amen.
0: No, I couldn't agree more with you. I think that's such a universal experience. There's there's less than like, if you're not LeBron James, you know, and he had his own uphill battle, right? So, you know, anyone can, it's all about like the relativity of it. So I, I appreciate it. I want to thank both of you for your time. Um, again, the guests of At The 55, my favorite podcast for OUA football. Make sure to check them out. And if you guys have anything before you want to sign off, let me have it. No, let's All right. just this keep was, building OUA. Let's keep building OUA. Keep building football. So this was season three, episode 13 of Athletic Insight, and we're out.